What is global health? With rapidly proliferating spectrums of new organizations and funds to address global health issues, there has generated a new global health landscape. But is it clear what this means and how it is used by its various range of actors? I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Fumi Olopade, the Walter Palmer Distinguished Service Professor of Medical Genetics, Associate Dean of Global Health, and the Director for Clinical Cancer Genetics and Global Health at the University of Chicago School of Medicine. Thank you, Dr. Olopati, for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. How, as Director of Global Health at the University of Chicago, do you use this term and its mission? Well, it's actually a term that sometimes gets very confusing, especially when we begin to think about health equity and wellness. So traditionally, especially in this country, health has been fragmented into the medical model where you only go to see a doctor when you're sick. And then public health, which is focused on the community, and those two sort of lived parallel existence. (laughs) And then there are people who were international health experts who went out of this country to go and work in international health. But I think now that we live in a global village, it's no longer relevant to talk about public health without talking about global health. So the new definition of global health is really health of all populations and individuals and with an emphasis on equity, because we can't live in isolation any longer. If you think about the interconnectedness, the fact that global travel, global business, everything we do now is global, even when you think about climate change, what impacts the health of poor people far away from us actually has significant impact on our own health. So that's why global health is important to all of us. You know, it's interesting uh, you mentioned climate change. And I certainly didn't even in medical school think about global health. And in 1970, that's kind of looked as the watershed year for this whole field because of cyclones in Bangladesh, African famine, and uh, the Biafran war in your homeland of Nigeria. This kind of got everyone thinking about this. And so having said that, and my background in med school, what what is different about med school curriculum now when we talk about global health? Well, so I think what's really driving this is that young people now are so global in their orientation. They feel connected with people all over the world. And the access to information, the Internet, has really broken apart the silos that actually created people uh, differences in terms of having access to knowledge. So we're in a knowledge economy. And then when we've looked at some of the catastrophes and disasters, so we talked about the equity issue and last week, the Supreme Court making it uh, legal for gays and lesbians to get married in this country. When I came to this country, it was the AIDS epidemic that was ravaging 
every county hospital and people were dying. And it didn't matter whether they were poor, black, white, they had HIV AIDS. And it was a disaster of enormous proportions. And then the entire healthcare community came together to fight HIV AIDS. The U.S. invested a lot of money in the president program to get drugs to people no matter where they lived on the planet because we knew that if we didn't mobilize that type of effort, there were predictions that South Africa, a lot of countries in Southern Africa were just going to disappear from the face of the planet. So now we're in 2011 and the United Nations actually said, well, because of this collective action, there are now lives that have been saved. We're now talking about the possibility of curing HIV-AIDS. And the research infrastructure that got us to be able to say that took place all over the world. There are researchers doing implementation science. There are researchers studying the HIV-AIDS virus and HIV virus. And as a result of that, that we have an expansion of our scientific knowledge. So in 2011, the United Nations came together again to have a declaration on the impending epidemic of chronic non-communicable conditions. So places where people didn't have a lifespan that exceeded 50 years are now living longer. We have middle, if China now is a, is a middle resource country where it was previously a low-income country. And the problem that we're now having with all these low- to middle-income countries is that people are living longer. We've been able to vaccinate more children. We've been able to save more women from dying during childbirth. And as people become healthier, they become wealthier, they are going to spend more money. But if they have chronic conditions that are not attended to, then we're going to have the economic setback. So that's really what is driving the interest in global health and chronic non-communicable conditions. And so when the United Nations came together to have that declaration, what are the major killers that we are expecting will happen if we didn't do anything about it? It will be diabetes, of course, secondary to obesity and poor nutrition cardiovascular disease, a disease that we now have been able to control in this country, cancer, which is the big challenge that we have looming because, of course, the tobacco epidemic is getting exported to other countries. And so we know what to do for, to combat some of these chronic conditions. But if countries don't have access to medicines or they've never participated in research, to actually test whether these medicines work on their populations, then how can we go there and treat those patients? So that's really why, as the Dean for Global Health at the University of Chicago, we are leveraging the best practices, all the things that we have learned, to try and develop partnerships with investigators in low- to middle-income countries. And what we want to do is we want to learn from one another. If you're just joining us, I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and my guest today is Dr. Fumi Olapade, who is the Walter Palmer Distinguished Service Professor of Medicine and Genetics and Director of Global Health at the University of Chicago School of Medicine. 
If I may, though, I'd like to step back from our approach to chronic disease, as you've described it, and look back at maybe an unfinished agenda that exists in low-income countries where they have no infrastructure to deal with acute illnesses. We've just seen what happened in Ebola. We may be seeing it in MERS as well. So how do you respond in a country to try to deliver chronic disease treatment for cancer and heart disease when they have just a patchwork of health care? Well, so that's really why we're where everyone is talking about the innovations that will get us to look at health systems strengthening. So, of course, when we went out to go and give HIV-AIDS medicine to people in low-resource settings, we realized that they had no infrastructure. But we were still able to creatively develop innovative methods of delivery. And we delivered drugs to people. We developed medicines at a cheaper, faster rate than we ever did. We also developed point-of-care diagnostics that, in fact, enabled us to accelerate progress in that regard. The same thing can happen for chronic non-communicable conditions. So part of the excitement of global health for us in America is that we might actually develop innovative ideas in the global health settings that will help us drive down the cost of our own health care, which is unsustainable. So part of our challenge is that we have never really integrated public health into medical health systems. We always waited for people to come to us in hospitals. And now we're learning that we need to go and manage the health of our populations. If you look at all the health systems changes that are occurring in America, It's because we now have a unique opportunity to actually focus on equity, to focus on health of all populations and individuals. And so while we talk about precision medicine, we also don't know how to deliver that in this country because we haven't really developed the health systems to help us do that. So I think that there's a global movement to think about how do we deliver health care that is affordable, that is equitably distributed, that lowers cost for everybody, and then improves the quality of care. So you're you're saying that by developing and evaluating innovation, say in a poor country, this may indeed benefit the rich company. Absolutely. So you talked about emergency care. So a lot of the things that we did in this country for decades was to have people who didn't have access to have access to emergency care. And so we built big hospitals and big emergency care. And so we were able to save a lot more lives and people get into coronary care units and they saved more lives. But that would be a foolish thing to do in a low resource setting for now because we know that In fact, what you need to do is to treat people with cardiovascular disease in their communities so that they're within minutes of care. So how we actually develop health systems to take care of people in their communities are some of the exciting innovations that we have to bring to global health. How we build the social environment, 
how we do urban planning so that people are not segregated in places where they have no access to care. I practice on the south side of Chicago, and when I first got to Chicago, the only place that you could come to if you were poor is Cook County Hospital. We were overburdened. We couldn't take care of everybody. Now we have community health centers, and if we can keep people healthy in their communities, then maybe we don't need such big operations to get people into hospitals and to emergency systems. Maybe we don't need to have such big operations to have, you know, coronary care units and intensive care units. So don't get me wrong, all these countries still need to figure out how to get acute care, uh, how to prevent violence, how to prevent road traffic accidents. Those are all things that will improve their health. But they at least have the opportunity to experiment, to innovate, and then we have the opportunity now in this country to integrate community health into our population management as, as we redo our healthcare system. You know, you talk about Chicago. You and I are both familiar with it, as so happens, and I also spent time in my training at Cook County Hospital. And even then and now, a lot of work went into addressing trust of these communities to get them to buy in to that we were there to help them. There was a history in our country in particular that didn't always warrant trust in the white community or in the medical community. Are you facing the same kind of difficulty in countries that have a long history of being colonies, for example? And how do you address the culture of those local communities? We've seen that difficulty as recently as the Ebola not touching their loved ones and wanting to wash the bodies of the people who had died of Ebola. This is a, a, a tremendous approach or problem as we deliver global health. Absolutely. And I think that's why the new uh, era of go- global health is really not on us going to tell people what to do. Is all of us feeling that we're in it together. So much of the work that needs to be done is to build local capacity, What you found with Ebola, and that's really been instructive, is that all of these countries are coming out of conflict. When you have conflict and you have no money, your health system is going to be in disrepair. So the University of Chicago had actually been going to work in Liberia to help build local capacity. And we had been sending our students and not our students, our trainees and faculty to go and help them with the emergency room because that was sort of the first place that they needed help from. But nobody was paying attention to simple hygienic practices that get you to have health centers that had water that could where people could wash their hands because all we thought about was, oh, let's just go and help in the emergency room. So that's why Ebola became such a crisis. Take another country like Nigeria, where they had capacity, they had built capacity to eradicate polio, they had a public health system that was actually functioning, and then somebody left Liberia to go and try to get help in Nigeria. And then, of course, Nigeria faced its own epidemic. But because they had local capacity that had been built by partnership with you know, people who were trained to do things, they were able to mobilize that and they were able to take care of their own health care problem. So I think the 
golden era of global health will happen when you build trusting, lasting local capacity so that people can begin to take ownership of the project. The same thing has happened on the south side of Chicago. We're building local capacity, community capacity. The University of Chicago has stayed there in these communities. Walgreens and pharmacies are now opening. Walmart is coming to build economic development in the communities. And people are staying in their communities and they're trusting people who are working in their communities, who are not just driving by or asking them to travel, take three buses to come to Cook County Hospital to get care. That's why we've said that, you know, global health is about local health, about community health, about focusing on equity and focusing on economic development that will enable people to be able to improve their health. You know the history here. We can talk about colonialism in the global health setting, but we face racism in this country, and that's why it's been so profound what's happened last week, where we're all trying to come together so that there's equity in housing, there's equity in the distribution of health care, and there's equity in what we all believe in, which is social justice for all. That's what we as physicians really stand for. It appears that the global community must support country-led reforms like you're talking about and help create a stronger evidence-based system for cross-country learning that will bring health care to everyone as they deserve. I want to really thank you for joining us today, Doctor. Thank you very much for inviting me, and uh, good luck with your show. Thank you again, everyone, for joining me. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host. And if you've missed any of this discussion, please visit ReachMD to download this podcast and many others in this series.